Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, Heavenly Father, please bless your word wherever it is proclaimed throughout the world this day. May it be a word of pardon and peace to confirm those who have already received saving faith in you and also to challenge those who are far from you, to draw them closer to you. May your word pass this morning from the mouth to the ear, from the ear to the heart, and from the heart to the lip and to the life, that as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you sent it, the salvation of our bodies and souls. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. It's not about you. So said the pastor on a Sunday morning at a church far, far away. I was there as a participant in the service, and I remember receiving that message challenging my comfort, and I had never really heard a message like that before. I heard lots of sermons about sin and the things for which I should be sorry and repent and receive the forgiveness of Christ, but I never really considered my own personal comfort a sin. The pastor was uh, preaching, uh, kind of following and tracking with another pastor named Rick Warren. He's the pastor of Saddleback Community Church and the author of The Purpose Driven Life, among other books. The Purpose Driven Life, I'm told, other than the Holy Bible, is the number one best-selling Christian devotional book of all time. And Pastor Warren writes this in The Purpose Driven Life. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Powerful words that Pastor Warren actually gets from a great source and standard for our lives and faith, the Holy Scriptures. The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians 1, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for his purpose. So Pastor Rick Warren echoing the words of the Apostle Paul centuries before him. Friends, welcome to weekend number three of our sermon series entitled Reopening Christianity. Not that Christianity was ever closed, but as we move through this pandemic, we see new opportunities to engage the surrounding culture and we consider challenging questions for us as Christian people. The question before us this morning, are we consumers or contributors? Boy. When I heard about this message and the question, I wanted to preach the sermon. Do you want to know why? Because there's something about consumer-driven Christianity that drives me crazy. And I just want to take a big red, or not red, but black marker and just cross through that. Because I know that our lives are not about our own personal comfort that God desires to establish his faith and also character in us. And God's much more interested in our character formation than he is in our personal comfort. And the stories of scripture are replete with example after example of God challenging people where they are and moving them where he wants to be for the sake of his larger purposes for their lives and also his kingdom. But not only that, 
I also wanted to take a big, fat, black marker and cross through that consumer-driven Christianity because of this, the 80-20 rule. Are you familiar with this principle in organizations? It's not just true for the church, it's true for almost any institution or business or school. The 80-20 rule states this, 20% of the people in any given organization do 80% of the work. 20 percenters out there, are you with me? Can I get a witness? I know you're, you're much too humble to raise your hand, but you know who you are, and then you kind of look down the pew at the other people that aren't volunteering as much as you, and then you judge them in your heart, and then you got to confess that, and you got to receive the Lord's Supper, and you got to start again. <laughs> That's in part why we're here. You know what the, the lifelong 20% people say to me? They say, and this has happened in multiple congregations, they say, Pastor, I've got a great idea. Instead of having the regular folks like me do all the work, we're going to get the youth to do some work around here because they've got the energy and enthusiasm to get things done. To which I say, you know, the, the youth have their own time for study and, and they've got youth group and confirmation and they have their service activities and events. Um, so, you know, it's not like they're doing nothing. They're doing something. And they go, Pastor, just hear me out. We have a lot of elderly people in the community, and they need their, their grass uh, mowed in the summer. They need the leaves raked in the fall, and they need their, their driveways plowed in the winter. And I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. So why not get the youth to do that, and then any free will donations we get from these elderly folks that we're serving, we'll put that money toward missions so it also help the budget. Have you ever seen a group of teenagers rake leaves? <laughs> That takes an enormous amount of supervision. They're blessed in all kinds of ways, but sometimes concerted activities that focus on accomplishing a goal in a short amount of time uh, might not be their best, their best of the lane to travel in. But in any case, this 80-20 rule exists, and that's another reason why consumer-driven Christianity drives me crazy, because it's like there's, there's those who will serve and those who will be served, and we would like many more people to be involved in serving, and serving God and serving others through the ministries of our congregation. And so, there you have it, a diatribe against consumer-oriented Christianity. And that was going to be the main message this morning for you. Shame on you for being consumer-oriented Christians. But then Andy Berg happened. Do you know who Andy Berg is? He's our vicar. He's our pastor in training. And as I was kind of going off on this rant during one of our meetings, he said, Pastor Brad, I don't think being a consumer has to be all that bad. In fact, I think God kind of made us to be consumers. And, and there are a lot of good things that we consume. And then he went on to list those things. And so Vicar Andy Berg changed this pastor's mindset. I had to repent of my own sins, and therefore you don't get law bombs dropped on you on a Sunday morning all service long. Turns out there's some truth to what Vicar Berg was saying. We are consumers and contributors. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and kind of proposition. In fact, when you think about it, God designed us to consume. Consider Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. God makes them in his image. He places them in a garden to take care of it, to tend it, to be stewards of it. And then he says, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. And of course, he puts the condition on the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he says, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. 
Think about your appetite. Think about what you need to sustain yourself physically. You consume food. Your body turns that food into energy so that you can do the work that God has set before you. And then we eliminate the rest as waste. We not only consume because of our body's needs, but also our mind's needs. It turns out that God designed our mind to receive all kinds of stimulus from the environment. And our brain processes that and categorizes that in wonderful ways. And that also prompts us to share information too. So we receive and respond to the stimuli in our environment using our minds. Our minds are designed to consume, to receive information, and then to share it. But not just our bodies and minds, but also our hearts. Our hearts being the seed of human will and emotion for our lives. Our hearts are designed to receive love. And then to share that love with others in the form of human relationships. Our bodies, our minds, our hearts are designed to consume, to receive. But not just physical blessings, spiritual blessings also. Listen to this from Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul once again, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the nations with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. We are designed to consume the blessings that the Holy Spirit provides for us. And we call the ways in which the Holy Spirit works in our lives and through our lives as God's people the means of grace. Do you remember the means of grace from confirmation training or from growing up in the church? This next slide has a visual depiction of those. The first is baptism. Say baptism. Baptism is God's promise of faith and forgiveness and eternal life. We just witnessed that this morning. God adopting a precious child into his family of faith forever. Washing away sins, giving them the promise and blessing of Jesus Christ. Uniting that child with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But not only baptism, the Word of God. Say, the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful and effective. It's God's plan of salvation for you and for me. It's a guide for our lives here and now. And it's certainly that guide for everlasting salvation through the person and work of Jesus. God's Word has power. God's Word contains promises. God's Word has commands for your life. But not just the Word of God, also the Lord's Supper. Say the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate together this morning, is the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. And it also unites us as a people of God who believe in one Lord, one faith, one birth. It's a beautiful thing, these means of grace in which and through which the Holy Spirit works to create saving faith in our lives and also to motivate us to share that faith with others. And this is the tipping point in the message. Jesus' words from John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus believes it's very important for us to stay connected to him so that we can consume, so that we can receive his blessings of life and salvation. But not just for the sake of ourselves and our own personal comfort and assurance, though it does provide that, but also for the sake of others. In those verses 
as you see them and as you hear them. Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. How much fruit? Much fruit. How much fruit? Much fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit. Not just the kind of fruit that you like, but those fruits of the Spirit kind of fruit. Love and joy, peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, which means you can do it as much as you want to do. You will bear much fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do all things as it relates to serving God and serving others. So it turns out, friends, that we are not just designed to consume, but God has also created us and designed us to contribute. Hear from the Apostle Paul again, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about it from the beginning of time. God knew who you were going to be. He knew the time and place in which you would live and serve. He knew the family into which you were going to be born or adopted. And God understood the things that you would do that would be positive and productive and prove to be a blessing to others. He understands how you're wired. He designed you and made you that way. And because of that, he wants you to place your faith into action to serve the needs of those around you. Your spouse, your family, your neighbors, your friends, your community. Yes, this church. Yes, this school. Yes, your place of business. Wherever God has placed you, he is hoping that you will continue to consume and receive from him. But he's also hoping that you will contribute. That is, that you will respond to the goodness of God in your life. And you will use your time, energy, and resources to bless the lives of others around you showing yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're going to skip over that next slide, and I want to share Jesus' words from John 15. Once again, Jesus continues, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. How much fruit? Much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Who's a disciple of Jesus Christ? That person who is a student and follower of the Lord. That person who, in effect, sits at the feet of the Savior and receives his message of grace and truth for their lives, but also receives that great commission that says we're going to extend out beyond ourselves and touch the lives of others so that they too can know the joy, the comfort, and the confidence that is ours of being a follower of Jesus. Disciples receive that which the Lord has in store for us through worship, through word and sacrament ministry, those means of grace. And disciples of Jesus also respond to those gospel blessings with our prayers, praises, and offerings in the context of worship, but also in developing a lifestyle of witness to communicate to the rest of the world who we are, whose we are, and the difference that Christ has made in our lives. So friends, back to the beginning. Are we consumers or contributors? Well, we're kind of both, aren't we? And it's funny how the Christian faith works. Are we saints or sinners? Well, we're kind of both, aren't we? We still struggle with sin, but we're saved by grace. And I think that's true here in this context. 
We consume and we receive that which is from God through Jesus Christ. And we respond with lives of joyful service dedicated to him and to each other as a family of faith. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.